0: You are listening to Equip Campus Ministries. Tonight we're going to be doing the next part of Lord's Prayer. We've been through some of the introductory introductory stuff, um, and we come up to "Hallowed be Your name." Tonight, last week was "Our Father who art in heaven," and we talked about how God is both a Father and a Sovereign God, um, and how those two things that go up, go together how in your prayers, in our prayers, if you're a Christian, um, that it's a remarkable thing and it's an extremely uh, central thing to think of him as a father. I was praying this way earlier today, in fact, that when you're asking things of him, your image, who you're asking, is both the Lord of all creation in heaven and your dad, your heavenly father. That's a big deal. That should shape how you pray, who you're praying to, the week before, we talked about how not to pray. So tonight, we're on to hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Let me pray one more time. Um, before we... uh, Father, thank you again. Uh, we give you praise, and we ask, Father, that you would now be lifted up. You would be hallowed. Your name would be made great, and you would grant your spirit uh, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, you would help us. We are needy indeed, and so I just ask for your help, Lord. Give us your spirit. You would speak to us now, and you would convict us. You would cause us to seek truth, to think upon that which is good and true and beautiful and honorable. And so, Father, help us. Shape us now. Transform us, even in this time. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So, some opening stuff. This is part of your outline Um, This is more or less opening observations about the rest of the prayer. Reminder, this is Jesus Christ, the Lord, through whom all things were made, teaching us to pray. It's the one thing that we have recorded that his disciples asked him to teach them. Lord, he didn't say, teach us how to walk on water or teach us how to do miracles. He, they asked, teach us to pray. It's a big deal um, that they would ask specifically for prayer. And so he says, all right, pray like this. So, reminder of that, that's a huge deal that we have Jesus the Lord saying that. Number one, um, in this prayer, is that it is mostly petitions. Prayer is petitioning. It's asking. When you petition someone, you get a bunch of signatures, right? You're asking something to, to happen. You're, you're requesting something. Um, prayer is more than this. You read the Psalms, you read a whole bunch of David, uh, Paul's prayers in the New Testament, prayer is giving thanks, prayer is uh, declaring things about who God is. When you sit and have communion with the Lord, by the way, I'd recommend reading that article. It's really, really good. Please bring that home and read it. It's a 10 minute read at most. When you're sitting communing with the Lord, we are called in other places to say things about God, to give him praise, to give him thanks. Um, There's plenty of examples in the scripture. In fact, there's examples of Jesus praying more than just this. and More than just exact pattern of the Lord's Prayer. But, Mostly, and I went through a bunch of scriptures, uh, and almost ex- exclusively in this prayer, it's petitions. It's asking God for something, to do something. It's almost exclusively what it is. There's, Depending on how you cut it, there's seven petitions in this prayer. Lord, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who art in heaven, it's the address. Our Father out in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a request that we're going to be talking about. It's not a, it's not a uh, statement of fact. It's asking that his name be hallowed. We'll talk about that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not in temptation and deliver us. Every single one of those things is a request. Lord, do this thing. And so the Lord's Prayer is full of petitions. It's full of asking. Almost exclusively, depending on the end part. And if you don't include the address, it's just ask, ask, ask. And so this tells us a couple things. One, it tells us who we are. Jesus is informing us on how we ought to think about who we are as men and women, who we are as mankind. And this is a significant battle in the life of your mind that are you gonna believe the anthropology Jesus gives you? Jesus has a really clear anthropology, the study of man, or are you gonna believe someone else? Are you gonna believe the secular, uh, atheistic, buddhistic, uh, Buddhistic, I don't think that's the word. Buddhist. Uh, right? Makeup words. Are you going to believe those anthropologies? Or are you going to believe Jesus? This is telling us one thing about who we are. It's telling us a few things. One, that we're needy. If you're asking something from someone all the time, it means you are, in fact, needing something. Right? If you never ask for anything, you're not needy. Or if you never ask for anything, you don't think that you're needy. You think you're good to go. I opened up to Psalm 86 randomly this <laughs> a couple of hours ago, actually. And it says, he prays, answer me, O Lord, answer me, O Lord, in his prayer, Psalm 86, because I am poor and needy. That's the basis that he puts in his prayers, the request of God. Answer me, O Lord, for I am needy. That's what he says. It's pretty logical. Lord, please answer, I am really needy. Another word might be weak. It tells us that we're needy, Tells us that we should think of this this way. Tells us that we're dependent, which is extremely similar, of course. But if you're asking something for someone, from someone, you're dependent upon them for it. At least in the moment. In the in this case, it's utterly dependent in every way. You're not independent, you're dependent. You're also dependent upon your parents Does that change, perhaps, by the time you turn thirty and you know don't live in their basement until you find an engineering gig that you want. Just kidding. I mean that's super common. It's like Crazy high percentages now of the millennials living in the parents' basement. So I encourage you not to do that when you graduate. But one day you'll be independent from your parents. That will never change with God. We're always dependent upon Him for life and breath and everything, Paul says, just to wipe the slate, like, and eh, what else? Everything. We're dependent. Uh, finally, we're children. And we get this, of course, from addressing his Father, but we are children. Children ask things of their parents. And of course, we call them Father. That's three things that we are. There's more. But just from the very observation that it's request upon request upon request, what does that mean? How does it inform your prayers? And consequently, how does it inform who you are, who you think of yourself? Because I guarantee you how you pray to God uh, massively shapes who you are. Tells us who God is. It's just the flip side. God is giver and provider. It's his very nature to give and provide. This is who he is. Out of the abundance of his glory, he created and he gives, 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 gives. So we're needy. He's a giver. He's a provider. Uh, we are dependent. He is full. He's complete. In fact, he's more than full. He's overflowing is the usual biblical imagery. Isaiah uh, 12, whatever it is. I can't think of what Isaiah 2 talks about God being an overflowing fountain. That's who he is. And you come to this fountain, and it's evil to not like that fountain. He's overflowing he's a full and complete God praying this way tells us this. and of course that he is a father by way of reminder he is actually a father in all these things so this is really important petitioning in our prayers we are called to a constant theme of petitioning and praying this way acknowledges this reality this is what Jesus is teaching us he says pray like this ask 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 And it acknowledges these realities. It helps shape them. And you ought to be thinking in your mind, don't just hope that this happens by osmosis from your notes or something tonight and in the next few months. You actually have to construct in your mind, this is who I am and this is who God is and I'll come before him and ask. And so one thing that happens when you acknowledge that is humbling. That's one thing that's meant to happen in our souls when we pray rightly, as Jesus taught us, is Humility is meant to take place. And when we are humbled, there's a few things that happen. When real humility comes, uh, one thing that happens is pain comes along. Spiritual, emotional, psychological, actual sort of pain is accompanying, usually, almost perhaps always, when humility is truly granted. It's hard because... When we're humbled, essentially what is happening is pride is dying. <clears throat> and if it ever died, it's painful. But when pride dies, it is a painful experience because we are very much latched on to ourselves via pride. So like a salamander out in the Sahara Desert sun, when our pride is shown upon by the sun of uh, humility, it shrivels up. It's meant to. And so acknowledging this reality, this is just a little sort of introductory point, but acknowledging this reality that we're requesting things of God is supposed to do a lot of things in your soul, some of which you won't even know. You don't know where all the vitamins are going in your body right now. But some of them, when you eat food, but sometimes you eat very specifically, and this is supposed to happen. We're asking of the Lord, and it's, it's declaring certain things about who we are and who he is, and it brings humility. If you're truly praying, as I said, you know, if you're just reciting this, You know, we'll recite it together. I don't presume that to be necessarily great fireworks of spiritual awakening happening in your soul at that moment. But when you're praying by yourself and you're taking these sections one by one, man, if it's not bringing humility, most likely you're not really praying very well. So, that's point one. We're asking. Prayer is asking. There's a danger. I have a clip. Is there a danger, I should ask maybe, what is the danger? Is there a danger that constantly asking, requesting things of the Lord? Everything in this prayer is a request, is that there is danger of whining. And to illustrate my point, I call upon Bill Murray. I haven't done a clip in the middle of a message for years and years. Is that up? It's at the end right now, so you gather started. So is it like this? Yeah. Is that up? Okay. Check it out! Look at him, in really bad, shape! Come on, please, Bye. please, Bye. give me, give me, give me! I need, I need, I need, I need! Bye. Give me, give me, oh, please! Oh my oh my <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. My wife challenged me, wondering, do you like just like that movie, or is it actually helpful to play that clip? I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the latter. I don't know. I actually think it's helpful, and here's why. So that's the movie called What About Bob? Anybody seen What About Bob? It's a really funny movie. I, I'm pretty sure there's nothing in there I wouldn't, you know, you. It's hilarious. Bill Murray's one. It's super funny. So, you know, gimme gimme. He's a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Uh, uh, Richard Dreyfuss is, and Bill Murray is a crazy person who's needing counseling. He shows up at his vacation, give me, give me, I need, I need, you know, super annoying the guy hates him. Is there (laughs) a danger that as we're constantly asking of the Lord that it's like that? Is that what comes to your mind when you think about doing almost nothing but asking? It depends a little bit. Depends on a lot of it, actually. Depends on why you're asking and how you're asking. And so first, before I really answer that question, we have to do a little bit of theology. And the answer is in the theology. So number two, God created for God's glory. This is a bit of theological groundwork for understanding when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, this is some of the reason he's saying this. And I have uh, four scripture verses that are going to be on the screen. Isaiah 43, question, before you put it up, why did God create uh, mankind? Why did he create mankind? There's maybe several answers that are true. Here's what Isaiah 43, 6, I think this is the ultimate answer. Isaiah 43, 6 says, Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. So the reason, he says, my sons and daughters, I would argue ultimately that you exist, all mankind exists. It's for an ultimate particular reason, specifically for God. Not for you, not for others, for God's glory. That's why. That's why he created. As I said last week, he wasn't born. He created mankind for his glory. Ezekiel 36, 22, why did God save Israel? In this particular context, he was talking about saving them in a very physical sense. He saved them out of harm, and he says this. Why did he do it? Because he loved them, because uh, they asked for it. Here's what Ezekiel 36, 22 says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, "Say, thus says the Lord God: It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came." He declares to them. In fact, I would encourage you to read several more verses later of Ezekiel 36:22 and following. I want to read the whole thing; it's really good. But he declares to them, "Why am I about to act? Why am I about to save you from harm? The reason is it's not for your sake." going to do it for them. It's not for their sake. It's not so that they get saved. It's for the sake of his holy name. That's why. It's interesting. Why did he save Israel? For himself. Next question. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? If you remember the story of Pharaoh and doesn't know the story of Pharaoh, I don't know if the latest Hollywood uh, disaster got any of this correct in uh, whatever the movie was, gods Kings and Gods or whatever, but uh, Moses is called to go, let my people go, right? Charleston, Heston, anyone? Let my people go. Uh, <clears throat> so Moses goes, does it. Before he leaves, and while he's telling him what's going to happen, God's talking to Moses, he tells him that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to harden his heart so that he won't let them go. Here's what he says in Exodus 9, 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up. He's talking to, talking about Pharaoh. For this purpose, I have raised you up to show my power. Why did he raise up Pharaoh who was a wicked king, a wicked Pharaoh? For this purpose, I've granted you power, for this purpose, to show my God's power. For what reason? So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's the reason Pharaoh had power and authority, was so that God's name would be proclaimed in the earth. Last one, what is the vast cosmos for? What's all the universe for? What's all that wasted space out there? That's a lot of space. <laughs> 17 trillion quad light years across, whatever it is. It's crazy, crazy huge. We can't even literally think we can actually quite conceptualize it. What's it for? Why does it exist? Here's what God says. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims us annually. That's what they do. The heavens are saying something, is what Psalm 19.1 says. The heavens declare God's glory. And so the heavens are there most ultimately to say that God is, like the heavens, immeasurably vast, beautiful, and powerful, and everything else. They're talking about God. They're speaking to us. So, it's not empty space. It's not wasted space at all. That's why they exist to declare the glory of God. So, <clears throat> our lives, when Jesus prays, Hallowed be your name, he asks this Lord, may your name be hallowed. He is asking that God may be known as great as he truly is. This God that we're talking about here is an extremely God-centered God. God created the heavens for his glory. God created mankind for his glory. God hardened Pharaoh's heart, did what he did in the Exodus, so that his name would be praised. God saved Israel in various circumstances so that his name would be proclaimed. If you were to say those things, you would be an extremely self-centered person. You know, host a party and people come over and, why would you host this party? So that I would be seen by others. If you say that at that party, you will have no more friends <laughs> for very long. right? Or your friends that you do have aren't your real friends. Because you don't like people like that. I wanted to have a party because I wanted to be popular. I wanted to have a party so that people would see me, would like me. Of course, we do this in our heads and hearts all the time, actually. But if you said that, and you acted this way, and you said it in whatever circumstance it would apply, you would be a megalomaniac, a megalomaniac. You'd be an insane person. You'd be like, you know, <laughs> like Kim Jong-un. That's what Kim Jong-un. They worship Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Some, almost quite literally worship him. And they're so secluded, they don't hardly know any better. It's a crazy situation in North Korea. This is what happens. So he raises himself up. So what in the world, can, why in the world can God do that? This is our God. He is this God-centered God. So I would argue, as we... Try to answer that some. That our lives, when Jesus asks, this is just the application, But our lives, uh, when, he's, when Jesus prays, hallowed be your name, you're asking that to happen. You're saying, Lord, make my life like a telescope. Make my life work like a telescope works. Telescope, you look into a telescope and you see something that's very far away that is in reality huge and glorious and magnificent. You see pictures from the Hubble and whatnot and there's these mind-boggling images. And what happens in the telescope is it makes it look like it really is. When we look up in the sky, it's beautiful. We see a dot of light and you put a telescope to your eye and you go whoa, a big one. It's incredible. It actually is like that. This is the kind of thing that we're meant to be praying and asking for. Lord, make my life, for instance, and in all things, as Piper said in the video, but especially my life, my heart, make me like a telescope that makes you look Glorious and mighty and beautiful and powerful, like you actually are. That's the heartbeat of what it means to ask, Lord, hallowed be your name. <clears throat> so, uh, this is why Jesus, is, Jesus teaches us that prayer is about God. This is why, because this is who God is. God has created all things for his glory. And therefore, this is why Jesus teaches us that prayer is actually about him. That's what prayer is about. Did you know that? You know, all you're asking (coughs) is actually about God. It makes a difference between uh, whether Bill Murray's thing is accurate or not. It's actually, in one sense, accurate, that hilarious clip, in that we are extremely needy, and we are meant to be asking all the time because we're extremely needy, it's not accurate in that what his neediness, all he wanted was for himself. Our heartbeat that makes it right, our right prayers, is Lord, make your name hallowed. Not hallowed, by the way. It's not putting a hole through it. Hallowed be your thy name. It's hallowed be thy name. Make your name glorious in my life. And so this is why Jesus uh, teaches us to pray this way, because God is God-centered. And so we get this from the prayer itself. The first three petitions of the prayer are all about God. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's all about something upwards to God. It's not until the fourth thing we start asking for things like daily bread and forgiveness of sins. And the very first one that we ask here, Hallowed Be Your Name, is the foundational prayer that sets the tone for all the rest of it. All the rest of the prayer, as we think and want the proper lens to understand the requests, is God's glory. So His name, Hallowed Be Thy Name, His name is essentially just the reputation and the image and really just God himself. When you're asking God's name to be hallowed, you're not asking for, you know, fancy (laughs) calligraphy or something written down. You're asking that the very person of God would be known as great. Hallowed, as I've just already said, is something like to praise and honor or glorify, revere, respect. You know, make your name praised, make your name respected and revered amongst (laughs) people. So prayer is about God. And this is, it being about God is a thing that will either give you the heartbeat and a passion when you pray, or if it's lacking, your prayers will just end up being the typical stuff. I grew up anyways, the typical prayer was prayer time in church, for instance, almost exclusively amounted to, pray for Aunt Betty, she broke her hip the other day, she's in the hospital, pray for her, okay, and then oh, my aunt, my nephew broke his ankle, Pray for him. He's in the hospital. My little kid has the flu. Pray for him. Okay, and then we'll pray for them. And we ask for healing. Those aren't bad prayers. You can pray for those things. But that was pretty much my experience of prayer. That might be a little unfair, but considerable experience. Where's God in that? When you're asking for healing, what in your prayer for healing has to do with the glory of God, the foundational thing that Jesus says? Pray like this. My Father, make your name great. Glorify your name. When you pray for healing for your aunt's hip, how are you praying that God will be glorified in that, as well as asking for healing? Prayer is about God. So, two points in closing. This is good for us. This reality that God is God-centered, that God is actually, in a very real sense, self-centered upon his own glory, and we're meant to pray and want that to be the case, this is good for us, because we get The greatness of God. That's why it's good. It's not good if you end up in eternity separated from the glory of God in hell. It's not good for you because all you have is judgment. But this is good. God's God-centeredness is good because he's great and we get him. And so this is why mountains are meant to be gazed upon. The gazer gets the joy when you gaze upon a mountain and the mountain gets the glory. So to speak. Even though it's an inanimate object. The gazer gets the joy. If you love the glory of a mountain range, you're getting joy. You're getting a certain kind of pleasure. And what's getting glory is the thing you're taking pleasure in. This is why God has created the world the way it is. This is how it works. A tulip the smeller gets the intoxicating aroma, right? We enjoy the smell of a tulip. Tulips smell good, I guess. It's just the first flower that came to mind, but we enjoy the intoxicating aroma. The tulip gets the glory. That's a great tulip, you say. Is it? Yes, it's a glorious tulip. It smells wonderful. I enjoy the smell. The tulip gets the glory. This is how reality works, because God. <laughs> So it's good that God is God-centered, and it's good, in fact, that He's great and glorious and marvelous and powerful and beautiful. He actually is those things, and if you don't experience Him that way, you're not experiencing God by and large. You may never have experienced God if you've never experienced Him this way. That's who He is. He's great. If you look at the mountain range and you go, nah. you know, something's wrong with you, not with the mountain range. It could be higher. You know, <laughs> you look at the Grand Canyon and go, hmm. Oh could be deeper it's a big crack <laughs> the right response from your friend is go you are a schmuck because your friends over there going wow you know if you think about it, it is just a big hole in the ground in one sense but we go and go wow why does that happen it's because it's glorious <laughs> you love glory that's why that actually is what is happening is you are getting joy out of the glory and the mountain the hole in the ground is receiving glory and everyone around you is, in fact, seeing that it's receiving glory because you're going, wow. That isn't an accident that we go, wow. It's not a byproduct of blind evolutionary forces. That's something inside of us, the central thing inside of us goes, wow. It's ultimate reality. That's what it is. If you have friends, if you yourself are bored when you read the Bible, when you pray, if you're bored in your faith, Man, you're you're not reading the right Bible, <laughs> or rather, you're you're not reading rightly. If you're bored in Christianity, you go to church and you're bored. You're either at the wrong church; it's not actually preaching the gospel, or you don't know God, because that's who He is. You don't go to the Grand Canyon and be bored. Crazy people do. Blind people do. Blind people look at the Grand Canyon and are bored. They can't see. <laughs> So in all things, God demands glory and we get the joy of giving it. Hallowed be your name. It's not a dry, formulaic thing to follow. It's the greatest blessing that Jesus taught us to pray. Hallowed be your name in my life. Psalm 1611. In your presence, there is what? In the presence of the Lord commands and duties and Something about angels fearing him and quakes and all sorts of stuff? Well, yes. can't find Psalm 16. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what's in his presence. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. That's what's in his presence. He demands glory, and we get the joy of giving. We like pebbles laid as we see this God-centered God. We like the glory. The beauty of pebbles laid, as C.S. Lewis says, in an arch, not just in straight lines. We look up to something that's greater and better than ourselves. We look up to a king, a monarchy in the middle, right? And we go, yes, inequality, I love you. That's what happens. There's a pebble at the top. His name is God, and he's glorious, and we love that we're not God. If you want the, the most extreme example of inequality, there you go. And it's wonderful. So don't miss this. Uh, If you miss what prayer is in this way, you will miss what life is for. You will actually miss the purpose of life if you miss this. Hallowed be your name is the first and foundational prayer. It's First and foremost in all of our prayers, all of our life, it's meant to be what life is about. It's meant to be the glory of God. So if you miss this, you're going to end up at 40 years old, and it's going to be like this. I'm 33 years old. I feel like I'm 22 feel like I'm 19. You know, it's, it, it goes by super duper fast. You're going to turn 40, and you're going to have a midlife crisis because your whole life, you have not actually understood what it means to live on a, the purpose of life. Whole movies are created out of this question. So you're going to have a midlife crisis. You're going to end up in despair. There's a line towards suicide, quite literally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. To suicide from the fact that you miss the purpose of life. The purpose of life is the glory of God, in and all through everything. You'll have a remainder of your college career to be listless, and just be floating, directionless, purposeless. I'll oh, go to class and do graduation and whatever, and I guess I'll get married. Don't really know why. It's the reason you don't really care. It's the reason you're suicidal, maybe, or despairing, or depressed, it's because you don't have the glory of God filling up your whole in your heart as a yeah, I can't remember who said that, maybe Anselm basically that there's an infinite hole within the human heart only the infinite can fill. It's a reason why material possessions and power and sex don't make you happy. They're finite. That's also interesting, This is the reason both the fact that we if we don't, to put it in the negative sense, stay on that negative vein. If we don't comprehend this, if you miss this, if you miss this in your prayer, therefore, if you miss this in your life, it's the reason you both are going to be condemned under the Lord. Because when you look at the mountain of God's glory and you aren't impressed, there's condemnation, there's judgment. It's the darkest of all sin. It's the same reason, if you're missing the glory of God, that you'll stand under condemnation. At the same time, it's the same reason you or we don't have contentment in our life right now. It's the same exact reason. Because we don't see that it's about all about the glory and magnificence of God. And at the center of that, really, there's a few ways you can put this but at the center, is that we don't have God's glory, but we have self. Don't have contentment because you're focusing on self. It's why. You're not focusing on God. You don't look up to God. You don't pray, which, by the way, to put it in the positive spin, I don't hallow your name as I ought, Father, help me. Hallowed be your name in my life. Help me. Help me. I'm poor and needy. Therefore, Lord, hear my prayer. Help me. You pray that. Get me off of myself. All you're going to find in yourself is narcissism and despair. Narcissism was literally named after the dude, Narciso, whatever Greek guy's name was. Narcissus. He stared at his reflection in the pool so long because he thought he was so smoking hot. He stared at his reflection and he fell in and drowned. Narcissism. You fall into yourself, literally, and drowned in a sea of selfies on Facebook. It's a big deal. <laughs> you laugh and that's—it fu- it is funny. But it's, it's far more than unhealthy, right? Oh, we have narcissistic selfie culture. It's more than unhealthy to your soul. It's damning to your soul. We're not meant to look into the pool and drown in in selfishness. We're meant to look up to the glory of God because it's infinitely better. This is what life is for. So this matters. Much is at stake in your prayers. A lot is at stake in how you pray. And I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, pray this prayer and ask God to make it true. You pray a prayer and you say, Lord, forgive me. If you're feeling have been or will soon, a stirring in your soul. God's bringing to mind your sins. He's bringing to mind guilt. He's bringing to mind all these things you don't want anyone to know. The, The answer at the end of the pain of confession and repentance is joy. It's the uninhibited guiltlessness of staring up at the mountains of glory of the Lord and going, thank you. And all that burden, all the sin is gone and just away and all the stuff that remains, you go, well, I'm the Lord, he's my father, so he's going to help me kill my sin and live for him. It's the purpose of life, and it's good. So, hallowed be your name, and especially in the gospel, Romans 5, 6-8. Here's what, in an ultimate sense, and I have just a quote after this, and we'll be done. Paul says this, it's pinnacles in the gospel. Hallowed be your name, It pinnacles, it maxes out in the cross of Christ, Jesus life, death, and resurrection for our sake. This is where it maxes out, Lord. Make your name great and glorious in Jesus, which is this. Paul says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And he gives us a uh, comparison. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. The most righteous person you can imagine, one will scarcely die for them. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. That might happen now and again. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not good, not righteous, actually disgustingly sinful. Then he dies for us. Then he gives his life over for us. This is the, the maxing out of the glory of God. So I want to read one quote. This is Piper. This is out of a long uh, sermon he gave, and there's a bunch of st- Sermon jams, people used to call them. Where this is put to music and whatever, it's really, really good. I'll, I'll put it on my Facebook page, we'll put it on the Eclipse page too. Christ Piper says this. We are made to know Christ. We are not made to do little piddly things. We are made to know this massive Christ, this world. This little two-second slice, and then we're with him forever or not. are with him or not forever. It is what we are created to know and do and be about. Knowing Jesus. And when we know him in those ways, we have the gun to know the outskirts of his supremacy. Time would fail to speak of his supreme severity and invincibility and dignity and simplicity and complexity and resoluteness and calmness and depth and courage. If there is anything admirable, if there is anything worthy of praise in all the universe, it is summed up in Jesus Christ. So, in your prayers, ask that the Lord would make this true for you, ask that he would be hallowed. That his name would be lifted up in your life, in all of the world. Ask for that. Make it the foundation of your prayers. And then continue to ask and ask and ask and ask. And he's glorified uh, by answering. Let me pray for you. Uh, So, Father, thank you um, again. um, Mm. Do pray, I ask, Father, that your name would be lifted up and made glorious. And, Father, you would get credit for saving We pray that if there is anyone here tonight, Father, uh, that doesn't truly know you or is uncertain, Father, if what they understood to be their faith, their whole life, is just a hollow sham, a hollow tradition, um, Father, I pray that you would save, that you would show yourself mighty to save, that you would reveal your glory, and that you would remove the spiritual blindness that doesn't see you as great and grant new spiritual eyes to love you. And Father, I thank you for the gospel that um, for those who do love you already, that have been saved, that may be experiencing guilt or regret or great lacking of their zeal of passion for you. I thank you, Father, that our relationship with you as a father is not dependent upon our, um, our works, isn't dependent upon our, uh, what we do. You are Father, and you love us, and you discipline us, and you call us, and you will never forsake us, and none can snatch us out of your hand. And so, Father, make us believe that, cause us to believe that, that um, all of our lackings and failings and sin in Christ is forgiven, even now, Father, uh, that you love us. So uh, be glorified, Lord. We thank you. Pray that you would bless the remainder of our time, our few minutes in small group, and that you would grant us to share, help one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. You are listening to Equip Campus Ministries, where all our event audio panel discussions and sermons are hosted. For more details, visit EquipCampusMinistries.org. Equip Campus Ministries exists to equip college students to humbly proclaim, explain, and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that in all things, all people might find joy in displaying the greatness of God's glory.